Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Everyone, welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. So now we are more than a week into free agency. The pace of signings is starting to slow down. There's not quite as much urgency to check the Twitter feed every five minutes as there was a week ago. And there's still more than a month before the NFL draft. It's a relatively quiet period. If you're a fantasy football enthusiast, unless, of course, you play in one or more dynasty leagues, in which case this is actually a very busy time of year. Dynasty managers are trying to drink in as much information as they can about the incoming crop of rookies, scouting reports, film study, pro day measurements, which continue to trickle in day by day, school by school. As free agents sign with new teams, or in some cases re-sign with their old teams, Uh, The effect on their value has to be reassessed, and with free agency still ongoing and the draft yet to take place, depth charts are still very much in flux, so player value is still ambiguous in many cases. And that is exactly what makes this such a busy time of year for Dynasty trades. Values are a little squishy, and when Dynasty managers have different perspectives on a player's value, it can actually be a great opportunity to get a deal done because maybe someone values one of your players more highly than you do, or maybe you're higher on a competitor's player than he or she is. Plus, you've got people very interested in acquiring draft picks at this time of year, sometimes willing to part with pretty high-quality veterans to collect some extra picks. Uh, So it's just a great time of year for Dynasty Leagues, an exhilarating time. And man, I can't believe that only four years ago, I had never played in a dynasty league. I was pretty much strictly a redraft guy. I don't know why I held out for so long. I didn't even have a good reason. But now I am in five dynasty leagues, and I love the offseason action. I love the constant tinkering and maneuvering. I only wish I had more time to devote to trying to cook up trades. Uh, And I still love redraft too, of course. But now I love dynasty just as much as redraft. And since this is such a momentous time of year for Dynasty managers, this is going to be a very Dynasty-heavy show. My guest is going to be the one and only Curtis Patrick of Rotoviz. His nickname is the Dynasty Commander. And if this were Game of Thrones and we were in Westeros, no doubt Curtis would hold the title Lord Commander. I'm going to bring in Curtis in just a minute, and I can't wait to pick his brain. But before I do... I should note that while this is going to be a Dynasty-heavy show, I do think you'll find that there's still plenty of utility for you redraft-only people. There are going to be some topics that have some spillover to the redraft world, so I hope you'll stick around, even if you're a Dynasty virgin like I was, 
just a few short years ago. All right, let's get to it. Let's bring in Curtis. Joining me now is Curtis Patrick, the Dynasty Commander. He is a co-owner and chief brand officer at RotoViz, that outstanding fantasy football think tank. Uh, RotoViz certainly isn't only a Dynasty site, but I think it's safe to say that RotoViz really leans into the Dynasty formats, and Curtis is a big, big part of that. Find him on Twitter at CPatrickNFL. Curtis, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Pat. Appreciate the the great intro and uh, a little how the sausage is made stuff. We're getting back together after last time uh, we actually tried to cut a pod together. I think we had something like two hours of just fire content. This was last year and we and we dumped the episode. So that that just went off into some sort of fantasy treasure chest in the sky somewhere. All the takes that that will never um, come to light. But hopefully we can replace that with some uh, awesome discussion today. And, you know, you always ask questions that, you know, right on that borderline to me, uh, between redraft and dynasty. And, and I think every time we've recorded, uh, I've left actually having talked myself into, um, my, my takes even further. So, so I'm from that perspective, I'm looking forward to our discussion today as well. Me too, man. And yeah, hopefully uh, there are some fantasy playing aliens that uh, captured those sound waves that we put out last year that uh, no one else got to hear. But yeah, man, that was the only show I've lost. I've talked to a lot of people who do fantasy football podcasts. They all have their stories about uh, getting 50 minutes into a podcast and realizing they never hit the record button or, uh, you know, just something failing to upload as happened to me with you last year. But uh, yeah, man, I just felt horrible, but hopefully we can make it up uh, with this. And I think we will. So we're just over a week into free agency. And finally, we've seen the action pick up with the the free agent wide receivers uh, after getting very few signings in the first couple of days. Maybe the biggest headliner was Kenny Galladay, who signed a four-year deal with the Giants. How did you feel about that landing spot? For him as far as his dynasty value yeah so we have to separate things here a little bit so for galladay he's unlikely to regain dynasty value at this point of his career he's entering his age 28 season he's going to turn 28 during the season in november i think um from a from a dynasty value perspective he's going uh let's see here he's going in the fifth round uh no sixth round the top of the sixth round uh, and dynasty startups right now, he's wide receiver ADP 25. Okay. Uh, he's mid prime. Uh, he's no longer with Matthew Stafford. It was unlikely he was going to land with the quarterback better than Matthew Stafford at this point. Um, but I do think landing with the giants and Daniel Jones, who might still have some upside, um, it's probably better than staying with Jared Goff in Detroit. Uh, Goff feels very much like a bridge, uh, with all of the chatter that we've heard coming from that front office now at this point. Um, so, so I like the change of venue for him. Um, we know that historically, if you just look at all the free agent wide receivers who get these big contracts and change teams, more often than not, it's not a good thing. Um, but we have seen some recent examples where it was a very good thing. Uh, and, and it became apparent that, you know, a prior scheme or offense was holding a player back. Stephon Diggs is a perfect example of that last season, having a career year uh, just after the change of venue from from really Kirk Cousins, who was a, a fine quarterback 
uh, by NFL standards over to Josh Allen uh, and the exciting athleticism and explosiveness that he added to that offense. So, of course, the Giants hope that Galladay adds a similar boost for them. I think what it gives the Giants that they didn't have before is a, a player with size who can win matchups. That was a clear need for Daniel Jones. They had, you know, they've had Golden Tate there. They've had Sterling Shepard there. Uh, they haven't had uh, this type of baller. I mean, maybe with this type of size on the perimeter since what, like the Plaxico Burris days? It's been a while since they've had uh, yeah. a size, a size uh, a peripheral wide receiver like this. And so um, I think that it it's good probably for his redraft value. And I actually think it might be better for the other players uh, namely Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, it might be better for them than it is for Galladay because they're both young. Barkley, if if you know if a player can hold you know that safety from creeping up into the box, and Galladay is certainly one of those types of players, that should open up things for him for the dump offs underneath. Maybe give him fewer stacked boxes. I think that will be good. Daniel Jones just really, I'm I'm looking at the root of his AYA app, adjusted yards per attempt app. His highest adjusted yards per attempt with any battery mate in his career actually is with Saquon Barkley. That's a bad. That's a bad situation for your running oh back. My gosh. For your running back to be leading the room there. Uh, so so seven point six five is the highest AYA that Daniel Jones has had. You know, with any receiver that he's targeted more than fifty times. Matthew Stafford to Kenny Galladay eleven point three six. So I mean, you know, huge huge boost in terms of what Galladay was giving uh, to Matthew Stafford. And, you know, so that that could be it really could be the special sauce for a Daniel Jones breakout. So I actually like the idea of of Daniel Jones on the cheap as uh, kind of a derivative play off of the Galladay signing. Um, and for and for Galladay, I, I was looking through Dynasty ADP. I don't see a single veteran player ahead of him in positional Dynasty ADP that I'd want uh, that I'd want Galladay over just because of the the age situation. There are a couple rookies that I think. You know, like Jalen Waddell's going in front of Kenny Galladay. I don't know really how I feel about that. I might prefer Galladay for the, you know, just for the gamble that in year one, you know, he really breaks out and gives us one of those top 12 wide receiver seasons. Yeah, I uh, I think I'd have to go with Galladay too there. You know, I, I wouldn't do it for certainly not Jamar Chase, certainly not Bateman, um, you know, not unlikely Devonta Smith, but for Waddle, yeah, the, the break point is there. It's kind of interesting. I, I have heard it uh, suggested that, you know, Galladay is a uh, sort of point of catch receiver and not really an elite separator. And that maybe that worked better with Math- Matthew Stafford than that would with Daniel Jones, because Stafford is kind of a tight windows thrower and a guy who, you know, can not afraid to challenge defenses downfield. And we, you know, that that AYA information you shared sort of doesn't paint a picture of Jones as a real aggressive downfield thrower. But, you know, again, maybe it's it's because of the weapons he was working with. Um, so, yeah, this is a really interesting signing, um, maybe a less exciting signing, certainly a less exciting re-signing. And actually a re-signing was Juju Smith-Schuster going back to the Steelers and I think the consensus is that Juju's value has taken a pretty big hit now that he's going back to Pittsburgh for another year. I'd contend that this is actually a decent time to trade for him because one, I don't think his dynasty value has ever been lower since early in his rookie year. Uh, two, the Steelers offense can't possibly be as dysfunctional as it was last year. And three, I think, well, Juju's probably going to be somewhere else next year anyway. 
and possibly in a much better spot with a, a better, younger quarterback. But of course, this assumes that Juju is still a top 20 or 25 receiver on talent alone. So do you agree or disagree that this might be a good time to explore a trade for Juju? It's probably a good time to explore a trade for all of the Steelers wide receivers. So this was really shocking uh, to me. Do you know that all three of them were top 24 wide receivers last year? I mean, if we're just talking about raw counting stats, end of the year stats. So Juju was wide receiver 16. Deontay Johnson was a wide receiver 21 and Chase Claypool was wide receiver 23. I mean, that's given, given the state of the Steelers offense, like you're talking about and that, you know, Roethlisberger kind of coming back from, you know, the, a really weird off season where there was retirement speculation, you know, he had the surgery. Uh, it looked like he had maybe ballooned up and wasn't taking care of himself. And then all of a sudden he's all in um, and the Steelers go what 11 to no or something before they lose their first game. Um, but the, the offense never really did seem like it was clicking. Um, and, and then to see that all three of these receivers had more than 100 targets and all three of them were top 24 PPR weapons, uh, the position is really interesting. In terms of, of dynasty startup value, uh, Deontay Johnson's actually being selected first, uh, ADP of 57.4, Chase Claypool, ADP of 59.0, so essentially the same. Juju's about a half round. Half round, three quarters of a round behind him. He's going, coming in at 65.6. So I think Dynasty drafters agree with you, Pat, that uh, you know he he's discounted versus the other two. Um, and so for that purpose, you know, maybe he is a trade, a potential trade target. If someone was fed up with the lack of dependability week to week that Juju gave them last year, and then you know, now seeing that he's back in Pittsburgh, you could see an owner wanting to move on. I think everyone was hoping. You know, that he would land in Miami or somewhere where he could be, you know, the true uh, alpha target getter. And that's just certainly not going to be the case. Um, I actually, of the three, though, I like the idea of buying Claypool even more than Juju, considering where their price is. I mean, think about the Steelers last year and everything that was going on. In addition to everything going on with Ben Roethlisberger, it was a very atypical offseason. So not only did Claypool not really get to learn you know, the offense because of everything going on with, with COVID didn't get to learn it in person as a rookie. He also didn't really get a chance to establish any rapport with Roethlisberger yet turns in a a wide receiver two season as a rookie. I mean, I I thought it was very, very impressive and uh, really excited to see, you know, what he can do in year two. Uh, He ranks in the uh, let's see here. He ranks in the top 25 among rookie wide receivers in receptions. Uh, since the year 2000 uh, with his what 62 receptions last season and then if you look at uh, receiving fantasy points over expectation um, it's another area you know where Chase Claypool I think offers a lot of exciting upside because of all the the targets that he gets um, down there in in the scoring zone uh, in, the, in the red zone and the five zone he provides a matchup uh a matchup disparity that that even Juju doesn't offer and certainly Dante Johnson doesn't offer. So he's my trade target of the three while they're all kind of sorting it out right here. And uh, but 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 I'm not going to fight you, you know, to the death that that Juju is not a value. Yeah, I mean, I, I like to hear that, too. I'm a, a, actually a fan of all three of these guys. And, and Chase was certainly able to show his athleticism, his speed uh, and, you know, just ability after the catch in a down year for the Steelers. So like really encouraging that he was sort of able to assert himself as, as this guy who's going to be a clear uh, 
I don't know, a, a clear fantasy provider for some time to come. What, which one or two signings have you liked the most as far as perking up a player's dynasty value? Yeah, I'll, get, I'll give you a couple. Because um, I, you know, I don't think that we got really the smash landing spot or player changing teams that, that we would really want to. But there's some sneaky value out there for sure. Like, let's take a player like Andy Dalton, who was basically, you know, left for dead. I mean, he did not look good filling in for the Cowboys last year in an offense chock full of weapons. And the Bears have already told him he's the starter this season. So he goes from being super flex, basically borderline waiver wire fodder, or at least like kind of end of the draft guy to now being kind of like a middle teens target that can be a bridge, you know, QB three for you, you know, filling in and bye weeks uh, on a super flex uh, in a super flex league. Cam Newton also, I think going back to, to New England, again, did not get to learn Josh McDaniel's offense in a normal offseason environment. Uh, now the Patriots knows, you know, they know what Cam can do and what he can't do. I think they've they've clearly made efforts to restructure the offense around uh, what he can do in year one, bringing in the two big targets at tight end, uh, you know, and Hunter Henry, uh, Hunter Henry and Janu Smith um, getting getting a deep weapon and Nelson Aguilar. So they've made a lot of investment uh, to try to perk Cam up. And as bad as he was, man, he threw eight touchdowns last year. He only threw for 2,600 yards. I mean, just putrid, beyond putrid numbers. And he was still the fantasy QB 17 because of all the rushing production. So if, if he gives you 500 on the ground uh, with 10 rushing touchdowns and, and improves, you know, at all with these new weapons there, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny to say it because it certainly didn't look like it when we watched him last year. But but Cam could be back in QB1 material again this season. And I don't think he's a player that anyone's high on uh, right now. So sneaky value there. And then, you know, I think the Nelson Aguilar signing, I don't know that it aligns with uh, Cam Newton's current skills, but it definitely opens up the possibility for someone else to shine in Las Vegas. It might be John Brown coming over from Buffalo where he'd kind of been boxed out a little bit. Um, you know, he, he may be the primary deep threat for... Uh, and at times explosive Las Vegas offense uh, that helps Aguilar, you know, earn the big cash, or it might open up things uh, for some of the rookies that they, they drafted last year and Brian Edwards or, or Henry Ruggs. So that's one where maybe, you know, addition by subtraction for the players on the roster. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it seems like there has to be a dead cat bounce for Cam Newton and, and just like the, the targets were so gross last year, nothing at tight end. Um, you know, Jacoby Myers, the only faint hope as far as a decent wide receiver target after Edelman got hurt and he didn't really start playing more till the end of the year. I mean, they were spending targets on Demir Bird for most of the season, for God's sake. So, yeah, that's got to help him. And, uh, you know, with the rushing still there, I am starting to warm to the idea of, of Cam being sort of a, a buy low target. Uh, what about signings that maybe torpedoed or at least harm to players dynasty value yeah this this one's pretty easy uh to to nail the big gun here uh because until it was sorted out his dynasty value had skyrocketed and it's aj Dillon. aj Dillon was going in expert dynasty startups i saw this exercise between roster watch and roto underworld he went like in the third round or something uh and i'm looking at the road of his dynasty adp tools here looking at some high stakes startups uh from the season over at the ffpc A.J. Dillon's 
range of uh, of draft outcomes so far has been from 31 overall to 71 overall. And you, you better bet, you know, where those ones uh, in, this, in the late sixth round have been occurring. It's been post Aaron Jones signing. So AJ Dillon, AJ Dillon goes from, uh, you, you know, basically being last year's Ronald Jones that just shot up the board because you know, there wasn't really anybody else there to, to worry about to now, okay, he's a clear 1B in a committee. Aaron Jones signs a long-term deal. And, and again, this is a situation where somehow, some way, I actually think Aaron Jones is more valuable uh, than he was last year because now we no longer wonder, is he tied to Aaron Rodgers anymore? And Jamal Williams switches teams. Jamal Williams has been getting 35 to 45 targets like every single year in Green Bay. A.J. Dillon is not going to get those targets. So the most likely candidate to increase his receiving target market share is probably Aaron Jones. Or maybe, you know, if the team actually makes an investment at receiver, somebody to work the underneath, you know, maybe those targets would go that direction. But uh, I think it's bad for Dylan versus where he'd risen to. And, and I actually think it's good for Aaron Jones. Like I, I would actually now prefer Aaron Jones uh, to Derrick Henry and Dynasty, um, e- even though, you know, Henry outperforms him last year. I think the type of back that they are, Aaron Jones is going to sustain his value over the next two to three years where now it's kind of uh, how many more years does Henry have 400 plus touches in him? You know, you're going to be asking yourself that every season. Yeah, it's almost the good and the bad of the uh, timeshare era with running backs is that, you know, on one hand, you you don't get as many of those 25 carry games that are obviously so valuable. But at the same time, it really does kind of preserve value, at least in theory, a little longer for these guys. And you, you do have to wonder how much longer Henry can keep churning out these kind of years. You know, maybe maybe he isn't Eddie George who can do it over a decade, but, um, you know, guys like that are, are few and far between. And, man, the Dylan thing is just so interesting. I know the number one running back in a good offense in Green Bay is attractive, but I think people just fell head over heels in that uh, late season game against the Titans in the snow and um, – I know, just kind of reading a lot into maybe a, a game where the Tennessee defense, if we're being honest, looked pretty disinterested. Uh, you know, Dylan caught two passes, only saw two targets the entire season. Um, man, it just seemed like people were, were taking a big leap of faith. And uh, yeah, they landed hard after the, the Jones re-signing. Uh, now, Curtis, we've had a lot of rookie talk on this show in recent weeks, and there's been a lot of discussion about the top tier quarterbacks in this class. But when you were on Matt Kelly's show a couple of weeks ago, the Roto Underworld, you made an interesting point that I wanted to drill down on with you a little bit more since so many people have dynasty rookie drafts coming up and uh, are going to have some pretty tough calls to make with their early round draft picks. How should we be valuing these rookie quarterbacks, particularly the, the top five, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones? Uh, vis-a-vis the running backs and receivers like what are what are the break points for you in super flex uh i guess first of all is trevor lawrence your 101 and i don't know if 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 you had a need at quarterback on your dynasty team would you take like justin fields or trey lance over any of the top three running backs or any of the top i don't know four or five receivers yeah, this, this is a this is a fascinating topic because it is really loaded. Uh, super flex tight end premium rookie drafts are going to be so much fun this year because 
you actually have a tight end worthy of going in the first round. And all the chatter from NFL draft Knicks is that, you know, four or as many as five quarterbacks even going in the top 10 this year. So that's going to, that once that draft capital gets solved, all these guys, even the, the non Trevor Lawrence uh, quarterbacks in this class are going to get driven way up dynasty rookie draft boards uh, and startup draft boards. So Trevor Lawrence, I think has to be your one one I mean, he, he's going first overall. Literally, the fact that he was available is the reason that Urban Meyer decided to come to the NFL. He's had many opportunities to do this uh, in the past, but the alignment of him coming out this season and the Jaguars earning the pick uh, is exactly why Meyer and his his true spread offense will be installed in the NFL. So I think you know Lawrence is going to be in a system that that can maximize his strengths. I've seen a lot of people talking about you know how do you speculate in the Jacksonville offense. I mean, you probably just want the guy, you know, under center there. Um, I don't know that in this, in this type of system, Lawrence is going to give, you know, the type of, you know, top three QB overall type boom that we would want to see. But I think he's, he's pretty much a lock to be a future top 12 quarterback. And it's hard to pass that up in a super, super flex format where it really gets interesting here, obviously is, is after Lawrence is off the board. And I would consider taking Justin Fields, uh, number two overall, um, and certainly would take him over any of the the top three, the consensus top three running backs. I'm assuming we're talking about Javonta Smith there as the as a third. I think most people have Etienne and Harris, you know, one, two. I, I, I pause a little bit on Justin Fields versus Jamar Chase, and it might be a little bit roster dependent, but I think it's going to be easier for, you know, for Fields uh, to accrue dynasty value in year one. So, you know, if you've got a fairly balanced roster, you may want to err on the side of, of Fields there. The other guys, man, the, the Trey Lances, the Zach Wilsons, the Mac Jones, I'm just not as confident. I mean, I think that they they belong, uh, Lance and Wilson belong in tier two in a super flex rookie draft. So tier two is pretty big in this format we're talking about. It goes from, for me, it goes from Kyle Pitts, you know, up in the six range down to, you know, a Terrace Marshall or Javante Williams, uh, the, you know, the early second round there, Lance and Wilson being smack dab in the middle. I probably wouldn't take either one of those players until Pitts, Rondell Moore, and Devontae Smith are off the board. That's when I'd start looking at those two QBs. And Mac Jones, I think everything has to go right for him. He's not going to add anything on the ground. And then we're definitely in the Konami Code fantasy football area or, uh, era here. And, and Mac Jones isn't going to add anything there. I mean, he's, he's simply not. He's going to have to land in a spot that allows him to throw for 4,500 plus yards. Um, and, you know, and maybe he has the upside of like a Jared Goff in the right system, you know, when, when Goff was really cooking a couple of years ago. So that, that, that's my thoughts on the top five. I mean, how, how do you feel about these guys? What would you spend on them? Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, you know, fields, I, I don't know if I would have quite as much of a spread between fields and Lance. I'm, I'm really fascinated by Lance and that toolkit he has, obviously, you know, fields, did it at Ohio State against top competition week after week, whereas Lance is, is uh, you know, like the wishing well of this year's rookie QB uh, group. So, um, but I'm kind of willing to throw a penny in, man. Um, you know, I, I for me, I, I don't think I could take uh, anyone over, over Chase at 102 in Superflex. I, I don't think I could do fields, even if I had a need uh, at quarterback, maybe a screaming need, but I'd, I'd probably try to trade down and get Lance later or whatever. Um, 
but yeah, it's, I, I am very much with you on Mac Jones. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of cooling just because like you said, uh, there's just not much rushing upside there. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm on Wilson. I, I don't know. I, like he's got his supporters. He's got his detractors. He's a polarizing guy. Um, I'm not taking him over one of the top three running backs or over a lot of the guys you mentioned, a receiver, not taking him over Rondale, not taking him over, you know, Waddle, Bateman, um, Smith, obviously. So, yeah, I, I think you peg that. But it's it's going to be interesting, man. I cannot wait to see what – I think you're going to see so many different-looking uh, super flex dynasty rookie drafts this year. Like f- people's first rounds – are going to be just all over the place as far as which guys go where. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see results rolling in after we have the draft. Um, how do you feel about this running back class generally? Like we mentioned the top three, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, uh, Javante Williams, pretty clear consensus on those guys being the, the cream of the crop. But who are your favorites beyond the top three? And, and like, what's your overall thought on the the depth of this class? I don't think it's a very great class in general, especially comparing it to wide receiver and quarterback. Uh, Not very excited about it. So I kind of only want Etienne and Harris if I'm in the first round. Um, Javante Williams has some really good uh, performance metrics in in particular. You know, it it looks like he's he's pretty good at creating space for himself. Some really good um, metrics around, you know, creating uh, missed tackles, uh, etc., but, you know, North Carolina never really put him in a bell, bell cow situation. And, my, I mean, Michael Carter looks good. Um, you know, he's not a slouch. He's, he's probably going to get very late day two capital or early day three draft capital. I mean, Michael Carter is going to end up scoring some fantasy points on a roster at some point. Um, but at the same time, I mean, when you look at what Najee Harris was able to do and the types of prospects he was able to hold down and, and be a bell cow at Alabama, it just calls into question why. Javante Williams couldn't do that in a, in a much uh, less stocked system uh, at UNC. So I, I personally will continue to have a gap between ETN, Harris, and Williams. Um, I do think Williams will find his way into the middle of first round. There'll be enough fans there. So I, I probably just will not end up with shares of him because there'll be people that want to trade up into that spot more than I want to just select the player. Uh, beyond those three, um, I think Chuba Hubbard is really an interesting case because, I mean, two years ago, the guy ran for 2,000 yards. Uh, Oklahoma State kind of fell apart, um, and you know he that clearly impacted him. But he's going to have he's going to have a stellar pro day. He really is. And if he gives us the kind of uh, speed that I think that he'll show, I mean, I think he's going to run. He's going to run in the low four fours at the highest. Uh, I mean, he's he's definitely got sprinter speed. Um, I think that he can still find his way into day two NFL draft uh, conversation. And we know he can catch a ball a little bit. I think Jamar Jefferson's really interesting from like a workhorse score type perspective. And he broke out very early. I mean, he was, you know, he was a big part of Oregon State's offense as an 18 year old, which is pretty impressive. Uh, Not that the Pac-12 is the stoutest of conferences, but still, I mean, to hold it down and really be the focal point of your offense as an 18 year old running back is not something that we see. Uh, all that often. And then Kenneth Gainwell, uh, you mentioned the pod I was on with Matt Kelly a little bit earlier in the show here. 
we talked about Gainwell being a very high floor rookie pick selection in round two of your draft. Just because he's such a good receiver, it's highly unlikely he's going to go somewhere and that and that NFL team isn't going to find, you know, a package of plays for him or that, you know, he'll take maybe the four minute and the two minute change of pace roles. I mean, I think that's really his floor. The question will be, does somebody see him as a, a player that could have, you know, more of a, a 1A and a committee role versus just being a change of pace guy? The size will play into that a little bit. Uh, solving for level of competition at Memphis, where they seem to just churn out these churn out these uh, high draft picks now in the last couple of years. So, you know, I think those three players in particular would be ones that, that interest me a little bit further down the board. Javian Hawkins looks like an absolute dynamo. Uh, in terms of being a, a breakaway guy, he's got the the best uh, uh, big rush scores, you know, by our Rotoviz metrics. Uh, just just kind of a playmaker. Um, you know, I think size might be a little bit of a question mark there, but he would be really exciting as long as he went in like round four. I'd be pretty excited about him. Michael Carter, we already talked about, uh, and then you know, a guy maybe that uh, would would take a bit to break out, but I could see maybe ending up as a Tariq Cohen type is uh Demetric Felton out of UCLA. He's really it, it, you know, he's really a receiver uh but no can run the ball and so would a team see him as you know a, a player worth designing, you know, a, a specific role around. I mean, I don't know. Now we're into dart throw territory here. We're like in round 4 of your rookie draft territory with some of these picks, so don't go crazy here. Um yeah, but I I think I think beauty's in the eye of the beholder with this class beyond the top 2 really. Uh, and, and probably the better call is to draft a wide receiver over the running back at any point of a rookie draft this year. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Uh, you know, throw your dart if you must in round three or four of your dynasty rookie draft, but, uh, you know, beyond the top three, you know, and even who knows how certain those guys are as far as hits, but beyond the top three, it's, it, you know, it gets pretty, pretty dicey. And, and speaking of the hits, um, you said something else on Matt Kelly's podcast that I thought was pretty incisive. Uh, you made the point that a lot of dynasty managers have a skewed perspective on what constitutes a hit for a rookie pick, especially rookie picks beyond the first round. Can you elaborate on that a little? Yeah, I mean, because because a hit is totally arbitrary. It hits whatever anyone says it is. Like you know, every site has you know hit rate metrics and. You know, we we're guilty of it too at Rotoviz. You know, we call a wide receiver breakout uh, basically 200 PPR in the NFL because 200 PPR basically equates to a top 24 wide receiver performance in any given year. Um, but that's just what we have decided to call it. You could say a breakout is you you could say breakout is an opportunity metric. You know, how many targets or carries did a player get, and regardless of what he, what he did with them. Um, so, you know, you're just, ma- we're just making it up. We're making up what a hit is each and every one of us. And, and we have to decide what we think constitutes a hit, you know, when we're managing our rosters. And I think the context of, of the comment really was, you know, I, we think we were talking about Kenneth Gainwell and what would a hit look like for him versus other players, like a hit on Travis Etienne probably looks like he's a top three fantasy running back, right? If everything aligns and his talent bears out in the NFL the same way that it did in college, it's very different than a hit for an undersized, mostly receiving back to then, you know, also get 150 carries. Should you, should you take Kenneth Gainwell with an expectation that he's going to be a top five fantasy back someday? No, you should not. You should be very happy if he's ever 
a back end running back one, or really even a running back two. That'd be a great outcome for a player that you draft in the second round of your dynasty rookie draft. So, uh, you know, it's important to understand the criteria you're going to use because it's going to impact whether you try to trade away a player, trade for a player, but it, it should inform your your dynasty trade pro, uh, process right now. Like, don't go trade for the 208 in a single QB rookie draft thinking you're going to get a fantasy starter. Like, you're not. Like, the, the chances of that happening are like 20%, even for the best of us, that late in a 1QB draft. So if you think you're getting a fantasy starter and that you're the best drafter in the world, I mean, only so many prospects actually end up with meaningful uh, NFL volume that can support fantasy production, even if the player is also good. So you've, you've got to weigh all that context when you're managing your roster and your assets. Really good point. And I can't recall if this was the exact uh, comp you made on that show, but if Kenneth Gainwell turned out to be Giovanni Bernard, like that would be absolutely a hit. A guy who had, you know, committee back value for multiple years and, you know, still hitting pockets of value when uh, Joe Mixon isn't healthy. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree on that. I think people have overinflated expectations and, uh, you know, if, if they do with this running back class in particular, I think they're going to have their hopes dashed on some of these guys. Um, Curtis, you you are the dynasty commander. Uh, you obviously play in a lot of leagues, dynasty leagues, and compete against a lot of other people in the fantasy media in industry leagues. Uh, I'm not going to put you on the spot too much and ask you who is like the sharpest, shrewdest dynasty manager you compete against. But I don't know. Could you name a couple of guys who, uh, whose dynasty acumen you've come to admire over the years? Yeah, sure. And I think it would it would change based off of what type of situation we're talking about, right? So, like in startups, um, I I really admire uh, what Ryan McDowell and TJ Calkins are able to do. You know, Ryan is very much a proponent of kind of his productive struggle, uh, where you know he's he's accruing young players and rookie draft capital. And, you know, his plan is not necessarily to compete in year one, maybe to be a problem as some of his figure uh, players or assets figure it out. And, but then, but then when his team arrives and he plans to be, you know, really stocked uh, with talent to have a true dynasty, you know, to compete for multiple seasons. And, and TJ is just such an active trader. TJ, if some, if I was going to have somebody stand in uh, for myself in a dynasty startup, it would be TJ because you know, I go in knowing here's here's where I would value certain players, but I, I'm I never go into a dynasty startup thinking I have to leave with this player. I am very much just drafting against the competitors, uh, the other owners or managers in, in in the draft. I'm very I'm just as happy selecting and trading up for the 101 as I am not selecting a player in the first three rounds of a startup. I'm gonna hunt and you know hunt for value constantly. And I'm in a startup right now where I'm doing that. I've already made uh, four trades and we are only on pick 303 in the startup. And, you know, TJ is the only other dynasty manager I know that, that will hustle like that all the way through, still trying to make trades in the 16th round of a startup uh, to, to extract a little bit more value. Uh, so, so he can stand in for me anytime. And then, you know, there's a, a bunch of people that I think just have the courage to go for it. Um, Rich Rebar, I really admire in that there's so much pressure to go young in Dynasty. But if Rich Rich sees a title uh, on the horizon, 
he has no problem paying face value for, you know, a peak veteran or maybe even a post peak veteran. Like he's definitely the type of person that would go trade for Julio Jones, you know, for the final week or the final month of a season to, to ensure, you know, that he gets that buy and has a good roster for, for the title run. It's just so hard to win a dynasty title. And, you know, but that is the point of why we play. Like I want my name on the trophy. I want the winnings. I want the bragging rights, like finishing third and having, you know, a sexy, you know, album of baseball cards. Like that's not what we're trying to do. Like we're not just collecting players. We're trying to win an actual game. It is competition and you have to be willing to take some risks. So, you know, I appreciate that. Um, people that will go for it uh, instead of, you know, just, you know, blame it on dumb luck or somebody's, you know, some player's schedule. You know, you got to put yourself out there a little bit to win a title sometimes. And I did this last year uh, in one of the kitchen sink leagues. It's a Devi Dynasty League. I actually won a super flex title. It's a it's a 24 team league. I won a super flex title with Jared Goff as my only quarterback, as my only quarterback. Oh my gosh. And, and so, so I won the title and then <laughs> entered, I entered the dispersal draft this year after winning the title. Like you can do that stuff. If you hustle through the season, you pay attention to waivers every week and you make the little trades. And, uh, so, so yeah, I think I, I feel like rich is, is somebody that has that kind of hustle, but I mean, I can name 20 people. I, I play in a lot of really difficult leagues and there's, there's a lot of sharp people out there, uh, industry types and, and non industry types. Yeah, man, people get so age obsessed that they do not want to make those trades that will like seriously shorten their title odds, the Julio Jones trades. And, and you know, if you're close, man, you owe it to yourself to make a little bit of a sacrifice to your future to go for it and get that title. Because like you said, that's why we do play. Um, all right. I have to get the story, Curtis. How did Alvin Kamara win you home gym equipment and a Jamaican vacation for you and your wife? Oh man. Yeah. So yeah, Alvin Kamara will forever be, uh, I, I mean, at least until another player does more <laughs> for our family, uh, until that time he will be, uh, the most popular NFL player in our household. I mean, we're, we're staunch Cleveland Brown supporters here in central Ohio, born and raised. But when you put up six touchdowns on Christmas and, and you help me finish 12th overall in the FFPC main event and single hand, I mean, Alvin Kamara, I don't know if, if you uh, are able to read our, our Rotoviz Dynasty content on the on the site in the spring, and there's so many people putting things out. He was he was my oh, biggest I'm a member. dynasty. I can read it. That's- yeah, he 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 was my biggest dynasty buy last year. Uh, I, I I had a, an entire uh, an entire argument that he uh, in 2019 had had an atypical year in terms of of touchdowns and with Drew Brees. Um, falling off that the stars would align for him. And so, I, I mean, I drafted Alvin Kamara in startups. I traded for him in a lot of existing leagues. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I won four, specifically, I won four titles because of Alvin Kamara, high stakes dynasty titles. So you start putting all of this together, uh, the, the exposure that I had to him in my highest dollar leagues. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got a beautiful new home gym. Uh, do you not have to leave the comfort of my home, uh, to, to try fight off dad bod in my late thirties. And, uh, yeah, my, my wife and I have been married for 15 years, uh, this upcoming summer. And so, you know, I, I spent the other half of, uh, Mr. Camara's, uh, uh, fantasy goodness on, on a trip for us, uh, to kind of ignite the fire in year 15 in Jamaica. So that was really great. I actually posted pictures of, of the kind of the spoils of those winnings and, uh, Alvin Kamara actually responded to it. Uh, on Twitter and said something like that. 
we had something like damn boy you win a million dollars so uh that that was great you know and I, <laughs> I i like to think that he gets a little bit of joy you know out of seeing you know what what his efforts do for you know uh lay folk like myself Oh my God. And, and to have that sort of a performance in such a, a huge week for people as far as, you know, possible income gain. Um, yeah, that was, that was just the cherry atop the Sunday that he would show up in your mansions, uh, <laughs> talking about that. Um, so cool, man. And dude, you had to be terrified at points last season after the Drew Brees injury. And we saw Camara's value plummet with the, the lack of targets um, interesting roller coaster ride for you on that. And and while we're on the subject, Curtis, how do you feel about Camara's dynasty value now that Breeze is officially retired? I mean, I feel like it's b- being perceived as a hit to his value. Uh, and uh, like, I'm not sure it's such a bad thing that Camara is no longer paired with a, a an over forty quarterback whose skills were so obviously eroding. Yeah, I mean. <sighs> It's difficult. I mean, I think the 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 net of all the changes is that it's bad. Okay, he's going to be a year older. He's had eighty plus receptions every year in the league. That's because you know that's been a function of uh, his talents and abilities, but also Drew Brees' willingness to take the yards that are there on every play. Maybe more so than any quarterback in NFL history uh, was Drew Brees willing to do that. And we're we're definitely going to get a transition. You know, we're going to get a transition either to Jameis Winston who has, by the way, propped up fantasy wide receivers, hello, Michael Thomas, um, certainly hasn't fed a running back uh, 110-plus targets in a season, um, or Taysom Hill, who we saw you know, tank Kamara's value, um, absolutely tank it. And not only would Taysom Hill tank it in terms of you know potential reception upside, he'll also steal rushing touchdowns. Um, I don't think Kamara's just going away. I just think he we can't view him as part of the big three in dynasty. I don't think that he warrants, you know, he does not warrant top five dynasty startup investment like Christian McCaffrey still might. Um, so you got, you got to push him down. You know, I think you need to evaluate him kind of in the, you know, would I rather have his potential upside if we get the right quarterback situation? Would I prefer that versus a JK Dobbins or versus a Cam Akers or versus Miles Sanders? That's the area for me. He, he bumps down basically a full round on Drew Brees' retirement. I would have been happy to let Drew Brees try to patch it together for Kamara again. So in, in one breath, I'm thanking Kamara for everything he did for me. Um, but I'm also, I've also been trading him away in Dynasty. So I, I traded him in, in one of my high-stakes Dynasty leagues. I traded Alvin uh, to an owner who wasn't ready to throw in the towel. I traded Alvin Kamara and Robert Woods. For Antonio Gibson, Amari Cooper, Tony Pollard, and a second-round rookie pick. Uh, so just you know, getting younger at the position, maybe for the next Alvin Kamara, getting a slight upgrade from Woods to Amari Cooper in my estimation, you know, and then you know some nice upside pieces in Pollard and, and a rookie second-round pick, some darts there. So so yeah, it, it, it is very difficult. Still very much in on Kamara uh, uh, if if he drops far enough. You know, if he drops into the third round of a startup, okay. Uh, if it aligns with the way that I'm building, I would be happy to do that. And then, and then the move there, listeners, is if you draft Alvin Kamara in your startup because he's a value, you know, you wait until week one, you know, you, you crisscross applesauce that he has three touchdowns in week one, and then you move him. Uh, you know, you, you, he's not he's not a buy and hold player at this point. You know, going into an age 26 season in a post Drew Brees era. That's fair, I think. Um, 
I know you were enthusiastic about the Curtis Samuel signing by the Washington football team. Uh, why did that have you fired up? Oh, man. Yeah, it's great. It's Well, first off, it's just great that Curtis Samuel has an opportunity to be to be featured. Uh, I was I was shouting from the rooftops of this guy's uh, ability as a wide receiver coming out of college. If you remember when he came out, like people didn't know if he would declare as a running back or receiver. You remember all that? So um, I, being here in Columbus, there was, yeah, there were, there was tons of debate on that and what position we declare at. And so even back to uh, his, his NFL draft evaluation process, I was prognosticating that, you know, he would be a wide receiver, that he'd be effective. Um, you know, he could be one of these kind of Swiss army knife players, you know, like what we saw from Tyree Kill, especially early in his career. And I think that's been borne out uh, to uh, a certain extent. Um, but now, you know, he's no longer fighting with DJ Moore, who in some ways has a similar uh, skill set uh, closer to the line of scrimmage, being a, you know, a make you miss yards after catch type of weapon. And then Robbie Anderson really established himself. Christian McCaffrey still is going to get 100 targets, probably no matter who the quarterback is. It, there's just not enough meat on the bone for Samuel. But now, I mean, there's no clear wide receiver, too. And Washington and Samuel slots in for that. And why it's kind of exciting is Ron Rivera and Scott Turner. I mean, they're already familiar with him. Like they buy Samuel knowing exactly what he can bring to the table. And they, they bring him in. They had the same opportunity to do with that with uh, Cam Newton last year and did not do that. Even though they had problems at quarterback, they, they brought Samuel in and they, and they showed him the money. Then we add in Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be his quarterback. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been, you know, uh, he, he's just a fantasy, uh, a fantasy point dealer, uh, for, for wide receivers. I mean, you know, it was with him that we saw Mike Evans and Chris Godwin really achieve their peak greatness in the Tampa Bay offense, even more so than we had seen with, with Jameis Winston. So yeah, I absolutely think that Fitzpatrick can, you know, dish the ball, keep Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel happy, advance the Washington football team forward towards uh, whatever is next in their growth and development as a team. And, you know, he'll be stuck probably in a mentor role. I'm sure they'll bring in their version of a Tua at some point this year. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a great, if you're a Curtis Samuel owner, uh, you should be very happy. This is post Fitzpatrick signing. This ends up being one of the better spots he could have landed in. Uh, very, very happy for the player and for his owners. I wanted to bring up the Deshaun Watson situation real briefly, and obviously we need to tread lightly here. Uh, no sense in idle speculation about the accusations he's facing from, uh, I believe it's now more than a dozen women. No sense speculating about the ramifications he may be facing other than to acknowledge the very real possibility that part of his 2021 season or maybe even his entire career may be in jeopardy. I don't want to diminish the severity of what he stands accused of or be disrespectful to the accusers. And I don't want to presume guilt for Watson before everything plays out. Um, Tyreek Hill pleaded guilty to domestic assaults and battery by strangulation, and he's faced other accusations. And he has been a key contributor to fantasy teams in recent years. Uh, Darius Geis has faced either allegations or charges for domestic battery and sexual assault and his career now appears to be over before it ever even really got started. I know there's no one size fits all answer here, but do you have a, a general leaning about how you handle things in dynasty leagues when you're stuck with a player who's facing a legal shitstorm? I mean, should Watson's managers try to sell him for pennies on the dollar or just ride out the storm? 
Yeah, this is, man, you laid that out very nicely. Um, it is a complex situation. I mean, I, I also know a lot of dynasty managers that they just prefer not to own players that have this type of attention uh, drawn to them. A very, a very respected player in the industry and, and partner at Rotoviz, you know, like Sean Siegel would just prefer not to even own a player like Tyreek Hill, just, just based off of the cloud that has surrounded him. Um, and so, so you might even be somebody uh, that plays the game that says, you know what, yeah, I, if there's smoke, there might be fire and that's enough for me. You know, I'm, I'm getting rid of, you know, this player on my rosters. Um, just from a pure value standpoint and as a dynasty manager, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to sell a player that absent these accusations would be a top five super flex startup pick. It does not make sense to sell him for pennies on the dollar. You're much, if, if he goes to a zero, I can be fine eating the 10 cents that you would get today. Uh, you, you are much better. I mean, I think it's highly unlikely at this point that he stays in Houston. I think that the team will continue to try to separate themselves from him and he's going to end up in a different situation. So he's probably going to have better pass catchers and, and get a chance for a fresh start somewhere. Um, if you can get 80 cents on the dollar, I think that might make a lot more sense. Um, I've tried to play both sides of this. I've put out feelers to the Watson owner in situations where, you know, I don't have him rostered. And I've also um, tried to sell him. Um, I did successfully sell him in a one QB league um, for, you know, the 201 rookie pick in a, in, a, in a one QB league. So it's probably a little lower than what I would typically get. Um, but I'm happy to just kind of convert my backup quarterback. I also had Dak Prescott in that situation. Happy in a, in a one QB league to just take value if it presents itself. I think it's a much more difficult evaluation in Superflex. So Generally, my advice would be to hold, wait for more information. If this ends up being settled in a civil manner rather than a criminal manner, it's unlikely that he pays for, you know, for whatever this, you know, uh, potential offenses or appearances of offenses have been with anything more than a couple games. Uh, if, if criminal charges are brought and he's convicted, that's when, if you can still find the 50 cents on the dollar deal at that point, that's when you really right. sell at a discount. Yeah. Uh, criminal charges totally change the situation. Yeah. Tricky topic for sure. Glad you were willing to wade in on it. I mean, obviously you can only do it at a surface level until we know more, but I mean, that's part of the dynasty experience, like having to to speculate on some of this stuff and, and be put in the spot in some pretty hard situations. Uh, let's go out on a better note, Curtis, last thing for you. Why is CD lamb one of your favorite dynasty buys? Oh man. So CD lamb, I, I like, I like situational analysis and looking back at what happened in, in year one, there's a couple players that I think that w- we need to explain what happened, uh, regardless of their very different outcomes of their seasons. I think CD lambs one. And I think Jalen Rager's the other, we won't talk about Rager maybe today if we don't have time. Uh, but we may, maybe that can be next time. Uh, CD lamb with Dak Prescott in five games, average 17 point, uh, one PPR per game. That's a, a 274 PPR uh, full season pace. Uh, what was pacing for nearly 1400 receiving yards, over 125 targets, over 90 receptions. Uh, I mean, he did not take any time at all to get established in the Cowboys offense. One that already had Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup uh, very much entrenched as you know former thousand yard receivers in the offense. CD just came in and tore it up right away. And then, you know, the Cowboys season famously was derailed. 
They were even starting Ben DiNucci at one point. I mean, it was just, it was just gross. Uh, if, if Dak Prescott had not been injured, I contend that CD lamb, uh, we'd be treating him even as more valuable than Justin Jefferson, you know, is thought of today. A lot of people have moved Justin Jefferson to their overall dynasty wide receiver one after his really impressive season. Uh, but CD lambs in an even more attractive fantasy offense. He's with a better quarterback. Uh, and, you know, I think a, a lot of people would argue that he was a better prospect. Um, so, you know, you put, put all of those things kind of in the bowl and mix them up and you've got a pretty exciting situation. We basically get a year two discount on CD lamb from some players uh, who might not be doing that um, non DAC adjustment and, and looking at what would have happened had the season, you know, played all the way out. So, uh, he is not all the way to like my dynasty wide receiver one yet. I would still have the elite talents who are also paired with elite quarterbacks uh, and have given us, you know, the the fantasy wide receiver one seasons just a, a tick up above him. Like, I think it's difficult for me to rank Jefferson or CeeDee Lamb above like Tyree Kill or Stephon Diggs. I think that they're just so locked and loaded right now that I would still prefer those two players. But after that, I think Jefferson and Lamb are are definitely and the team picture, uh, the startup I was talking about a, a little bit earlier, I just took CD Lamb as uh, the wide receiver six off the board. Uh, AJ Brown also getting sandwiched in there before uh, I had the chance to select Lamb. Uh, very, very high on him. I think he leads the the Cowboys in, in fantasy points at the wide receiver position this year. Oh, goodness. I love it getting him at wide receiver six. I mean, obviously, you had to be getting a discount because of the ambiguity with targets with Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup there. But I, I think Lamb at wide receiver six with his talents and in that offense is just a steal. Uh, Curtis Patrick, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, likewise, Pat. This is uh, just such a great show, great format. I, I love how you just kind of alter each show um, to the relative strengths of your guests. I think, you know, this is this is a fantastic uh, platform for for anybody to to get smarter uh, playing fantasy football, you know, whether, whether it's dynasty best ball, uh, you, you get all the topics covered. Um, thanks for the, the invite back and, you know, for your, for your audience, you, know, you can find my stuff over at rotaviz.com. You know, we've got an awesome team. We've got dynasty rankings, Debbie rankings, uh, a great set of articles. We've got a, a 2021 rookie guide series, uh, that's been a hot seller this year, record sales for us on that this year. You can check that out at rotaviz.com. As Pat mentioned, you can follow me at CPatrickNFL on Twitter. And then I'll let this drop. I don't know when this is going to post. It might come out after the first episode, but but I'll drop it here. Uh, effective this week, I'm actually going to be uh, on a second podcast weekly that'll post three times every week. Me and Dave Cabin uh, will be holding down the Road of His Fantasy Football Podcast, the flagship enterprise of our, our radio network. So very, very excited uh, to work with Dave on that project and make sure you check out our airwaves for that. I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. Dave is also a past guest on this show, so uh, I cannot wait for you guys to tee that up and uh, put that out three times a week. Thanks again, Curtis. And that's all for this week. Once again, my thanks to our guest, Curtis Patrick of RotoViz. Find him on Twitter at CPatrickNFL. Fits on Fantasy is produced, as always, by Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. And check out the Rotoviz Overtime podcast that he hosts along with Sean Siegel. 
special thanks to my friend and colleague, Melissa Jacobs, owner and operator of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter, at thefootballgirl. Thank you to International Jet Sets for the music. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I do hope you'll drop by again next week when I'll be joined by another terrific guest. So long, everyone. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in, are you?